Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad Garoon! Reverend, hi. How are you? I'm good. Are you, I have to turn off the air conditioning to do this show, and so I'm warm. I'm, oh, yeah. more, I'm more warm than I want to be, but I'll be cool in a minute. It's funny where I record from my side is the one of the smaller rooms in my place, and therefore the heating and cooling in here is affected much quicker than the rest of the place. So if the air conditioning's on, it's freezing when we record. If the heat's on, it's like sitting in an, in a hair dryer. Like, These are things our listeners care about. And had any good burgers lately? I've had so many burgers lately. I need to take a break. It's your civic duty here. No, but if I eat like four burgers in two weeks, I can take a month off. How about four burgers in two hours? So I didn't do that because I didn't eat the fourth burger, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so over the weekend when we went to Handcraft Kitchen, you, me, our buddy uh, Mike, and, and my new friend John, we ate three burgers at that place. In one restaurant. In, in Handcraft, yeah. And uh, I got to say their bison burger is, is on point in a big way. You know what I really liked about those burgers, Brad? The, the chef was trying to do something artisan without having to rely on gimmicks. Like he, you could tell that he had an eye for quality and he had an eye for, you know, great flavor combinations, you know, without having to be like, oh, here's a deep fried lobster head or, you know, here's a, you know, an entire black truffle. Like it was a bacon, egg and cheeseburger. And you're like, oh, that was pretty simple. But it was like he was going somewhere with it, which makes me excited to see where he's going to continue to go with his menu. Yeah, dude. And then you had the burger at uh, Tap Room, but I'd eaten it already. So I didn't, I didn't eat any more of that. But those tots... Those tots, though. Mountain of tots. Yeah, we had some good burgers this weekend. Yeah, and then I had a burger yesterday at the counter, which is a joint in Times Square that I wasn't ready to enjoy, but they invited me in, so I went in there, and I got to say, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, a, it's really a chain in California. They got the one in Times Square. I was dreading going there because Times Square. Right. It was good. Uh, I haven't been in a while, but before they expanded kind of out of Southern California, I used to love going to the one in Santa Monica. Dope. Let's talk to <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's, let's talk to our guest. Speaking of sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, sandwiches. I, I got to say something. I, I'm going to toot our show's horn for a second because I really like these last few episodes we've done because we've talked to a lot of different kinds of people with really different interesting stories to tell. And that doesn't stop today. We're talking to Adam Shopcorn. He is the co-founder of Fort Gansevoort. We're going to talk a lot about art, which is something that Rev and I don't talk about much in our daily lives. We're going to talk about some barbecue, which is something that Rev and I do talk about a lot in our daily lives. And I'm hungry, man. Let's talk to him, eh? Adam Shopcorn is a New York-based curator and art advisor, as well as the producer of the 2013 basketball documentary, Leonard Cook. He is also, along with his wife, Carolyn Angel, the founder of Fort Gansevoort, a cultural hub for art, design, and also food. Located in the meatpacking district of Manhattan, the three-story building contains a gallery, takeout barbecue window, and spaces for curated retail experiences. Uh, in, a, in a world that is a very busy and interesting New York, it is certainly unique. Uh, Adam, if you, you could have used any cuisine you wanted as the culinary tentpole for Fort Gansevoort. Why barbecue? My wife and I walked into the space and kind of conceptualized what we were going to do on the fly, and I walked out into the courtyard, 
and looked around and saw a metal gate that kind of fronted the street. And I immediately envisioned just buying a, like a big ass smoker and bringing it into the courtyard and putting it like dead center and cooking barbecue outside and serving a barbecue takeout through kind of like a hole in the wall um, window, which is kind of how we began. So it just, it just, I just saw a smoker in my head and, and, and that's what we went forward with. I'm glad that's the vision you had because I think other people have gone on similar vision quests and come up with weird cults and purple sneakers and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Have you had you have any experience uh, w- with barbecue prior to this? Um, a- as a consumer, um, y- you know, I've 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 traveled around the country and gone to watch um, college football games with high school friends of mine, and we usually build in uh, a barbecue uh, eating itinerary around those football games, whatever part of the country we're in. Usually, the the South is when we eat a lot of barbecue. How did you come to conceptualize Fort Gansward as a whole, and how did it end up in the meatpacking district? Sure. Um, well, you know, I always joked with my wife that the last thing New York City needed was another white box uh, art gallery space, or an art gallery space in general, for that matter. Um, and we used to walk by um, 5 Ninth Avenue, and, and the space just sat idle with like cobwebs and it was like dark and kind of like derelict and I always found it to be interesting that there was this kind of dark derelict unused vacant property in in the heart of um, the meatpacking district so eventually I said you know to my wife you know we should get in touch um, the people who own the building and, and see if uh, you know we could walk through and see, see what's going on and that's kind of um, how it started and uh, I was doing a lot of um, a lot of independent projects and doing a lot of corporate consulting, but I never really had um, a base uh, to call my own. So, so you know, a Fort Gansevoort has just allowed me to increase the the frequency with, um, you know, with how I, I create. And, you know, I'm forced to do X amount of art shows each year, and I'm just forced to, to program the space at a more rapid rate than what I was doing uh, previously. I don't. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time in art galleries, so you'll you'll have to forgive me. I I have to imagine that there's food in art galleries. I've certainly been to the MoMA and they have a cafe and yada yada. But is food and art is that a crossroads that's frequent, or is it more of well, we have people here, so we're gonna have food just to have it. Um. Well, f- food is becoming more of a thing at the the super super high end of the of the art gallery food chain. So the largest players in, in the art market, and that's not to say that Fort Gansevoort is, is the largest player in the art market. We're obviously um, an upstart, and we're bucking the trend of, what, um, of what's usually done. But, you know, there's, there's a, a gigantic Swiss gallery that just opened, like a mega gallery out in uh, downtown Los Angeles called Hauser Worth. And Hauser Worth, um, the uh, mother-in-law to the founder, Ivan Worth, her name is... Um, uh, or the wife of Ivanworth, her name was Manuela. So they're opening, I think, 180 or like 200 person uh, restaurant like inside their gallery complex in LA. You know, there's a, another giant um, gallerist named Larry Gagosian, and he were, you know, he has a gallery up on in a in a corporate office building on 75th Street and Madison Avenue, and he owns, uh, I believe, he's an investor or a partner in a Japanese restaurant um, downstairs. Uh, Hauserworth also has like a bar. Uh, where they 
give away free coffee on Saturdays on 18th Street between 10th and 11th Avenue. So, so it's not, um, it's not, and and they also have a gallery in London in 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 um, the uh, English, not in London. I'm sorry, in the English countryside uh, where they have a farm and they do a lot of like farm to table like type. It's it's still fairly unusual. I think it's more unusual for a small gallery like ourselves um, to, to be doing what we're doing. Um, I, I was a little bit worried about it at first, but we kind of um, we kind of break the the two out um, separately, even though they're housed under um, one roof. And and you know part of what you know what I I'm not a big advocate of kind of the 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 dead seriousness of the art world in general. So I thought by putting food and barbecue, it would kind of lighten up the moment and lighten up the environment and allow allow yeah two drastically different things to coexist uh, together. So aside from the the change in vibe that you would get at a normal art gallery or your typical art gallery rather um, that Fort Gansevoort Barbecue affords you, are you using the barbecue space and the art space to amplify each other in any way? I, I suppose so. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, every six to eight weeks we have a different opening with a different artist, and that artist brings like a different crowd. And and we have, you know, been uh, lucky enough to have uh, a number of people come through our openings, and and we do serve barbecue like during those openings, and people are really interested in that. So that certainly amplifies the the art opening. Um, experience uh you know we we have people come see shows and then you know sit in the courtyard and eat barbecue afterwards um we're even you know we're even doing large uh, regular lunches for like other like new york city galleries you know we have a standing orders with a number of new york city galleries where you know we're we're, we're sending lunch over to them for between you know 50 and 150 people every other friday or something like that so so I guess you know that amplifies the the art experience, so to speak. I suppose if I were to be frequenting art galleries, it would amplify it for me quite a bit. Right. Um, well, it beats it beats the hell out of like the small glass of wine you tend to get at a at like a photo opening. Right. We do that too. Oh well, excuse me. Sorry, don't mean to correct. Also have egg in the back and, and just drink beer and and eat ribs. Uh, we we just tend to try to keep the baby backs away from the canvases. And so. yeah, that's fair. Do you find that because you're serving the, this very particular style of cuisine, does that affect who's coming through the door? And I don't mean anecdotally, like I mean on, on an overall basis, is that bringing in a certain crowd or is it not? Well, you know, there are two, there, there are two different doors. Um, you know, the, the, ent- the, the, the tr- true entrance to the courtyard where Fort Gansevoort Barbecue is is on Little West 12th Street, and that address is 6 Little West 12th Street, and the true front entrance to Fort Gansevoort Gallery is 5 9th Avenue, which kind of fronts 9th Avenue. And, and it's most often the case that when people are coming to the gallery to see shows, they come through 5 9th, and when they're coming to the gallery to eat barbecue, they come through 6 Little West 12th Street. Sometimes some people who are coming to see art come through the barbecue entrance, and sometimes some people who are coming to eat barbecue uh, come through the art entrance. And of course, we don't send them to the, the, the proper entrances and exits, but um, but they're kind of broken out um, separately. And, and there is uh, some crossover, um, but, uh, you know, we have our regular, you know, 
people who come to see our shows and we have our regular people who come to eat our barbecue. And of course we have our regular people who come to do both. When you opened last year, uh, I saw four cans of work barbecue pulled pork sandwiches all over Instagram. Every food Instagrammer that I know came by to eat at Fort Gansmore Barbecue. Before you started this endeavor, were you following a lot of these guys on Instagram? How did you know who to invite? How did you get um, such good buzz going in that first um, in that first couple of weeks? I wasn't. I, I, I was I was following none of them, and I, I I've probably gained 25 pounds from following all of them in the past year, which is a is a problem. You know, sometimes I, I know this feeling. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and, and people are eating ice cream for breakfast and I say say to myself what's wrong with this world but I guess when you're yeah when you're in the center of that um, world that that's what you start seeing on your feed but you know I, I I knew we had to you know reach out to people I knew there were the you know traditional uh, you know traditional journalists that, that you know were a bit older who work in print media who we had to reach out to but I also knew there was this whole wave just like in any business of of you know food bloggers and you know food you know instagram specialists and um i i just you know went to work and and did my research and started following a lot of these people and you know within a week you know i started to um i started to um i started to i started to follow them i started to follow them and uh and i reached out to them and we did a number of events and you know they've become regular patrons of ours. So one of your regular patrons asked me to ask you um, if your pitmaster, Franco V, is single. Franco V, unfortunately, um, <laughs> for, 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 the, for the world, is, is not um, single. And, and, and if I told you he was, I would be lying. And he would probably oh. tell me that I would have to say that he is uh, he's currently off the market. But people are very... Uh, upset about that and, and about that and definitely gives me a complex every morning when I arrive to the gallery and there are six people outside the gate asking where Franco is. No, no one's asking where I am. That's rough. I can't imagine. I, I, uh, I purposely surround myself with people who are only of equal level of attractiveness for that very reason. Well, I, I, I don't Thanks, buddy. That. Thanks. Yeah, we, don't equal. Have that, uh, we don't have that at Fort Gansward. Anyone who works at Fort Gansward is is a rung below Franco V, so. Yeah, that's rough. But um, he, so he, in his, aside from being the pitmaster at Fort Gansmore Barbecue, is also a, uh, a DJ. So has, has having that entrance into also the music world helped bring in customers to Fort Gansmore Barbecue or to the gallery? Um, yeah, to, to some degree. I mean, he's, you know, he's, you know him and his uh, older brother, who's a who's a close friend of mine. I mean, they've been experimenting and you know working and cooking barbecue for you know the past two decades. Um, he doesn't have you know traditional uh, restaurant kitchen experience, and I was willing to you know give him a chance. I've I've been upstate. I've you know eaten his food for as long as I could remember, and. And I, you know, his brother and and Franco have always like cooked killer barbecue. So when I opened this up, I, you know, I asked him if he if he wanted to to give it a shot. And um and he, yeah, he definitely comes at it from his uh, his own angle in terms of you know all the other things like he he does with um 
his time we there hasn't been that like that much crossover and like what he does like with djing is kind of what he does with djing when he comes you know to cook at fort gansevoort he's kind of in the zone of of cooking at fort gansevoort so going back to the to the influencers a second which is a big topic on this show often do you think that they had a profound effect on the opening of the of the gallery or like a continued effect uh, yeah, I, 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 I like to, th- I like, I like to think they do. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know, you, you know, how much they impact uh, dollar and cents, like necessarily in sales and stuff. But, but unless, unless I'm crazy, you know, a majority of these people have huge, you know, active audiences and engagement. And I think when, when they start pushing out word about a, a spot, like people. You know, it, 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 it either appears on people's radar screens or remains on people's radar screens. So, so it's, it, it's, you know, I think a blend of, you know, you certainly today want to get, you know, some traditional, uh, you know, some traditional mainstream, obviously, uh, food press, but I, but I think it's a, it's a combination of, of both and, and, um, you know that whole that group of people on Instagram. They they all seem to be like a really nice uh, group of people, and they're all you know super passionate about food and like trying different things and like coming by. And they all seem to like know each other. And so so it's been it's been it's been fun, kind of like opening up uh, that world just through 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 reaching out to them. It just takes a little bit of uh, you know you just have to yeah, you just have to put the time in to, to get people out. And, and if you can't get people the first time, you get people the second time or the third time. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's helpful. So, well, speaking of the second time, the third time, you you did events with them when you first opened up last year. And your uh, Fort Kensmore Barbecue, correct me if I'm wrong, is seasonal, right? Correct, yeah. Last year we were able to, like, literally go through the – you know, the 2015 calendar year because the winter was so mild. So we literally cooked until the 1st of December, but we probably could have squeezed it out until at least Christmas. I don't know if you guys remember, but last year it was 70 degrees on Christmas Day. Yeah, the world's becoming a weird place. Yeah, and then, um, you know, we kind of shut down and we reopened um, in May. So so we didn't even really have a, a true full summer season uh last year but then we reopened and um you know my fear of of actually like letting patrons into the space you know we first opened we literally put a countertop right at the gate and we were just like handing sandwiches to people and they would walk away and then i realized that well i knew from the beginning that that wasn't the the best utilization of our space so this year um you know we bought um three you know, eight-person picnic tables, which gives us the ability to allow 24 people to sit, you know, inside the courtyard and enjoy the space and enjoy music and enjoy the smoke and enjoy the, you know, the, you know, seeing what's what's in the smoker when it gets opened. And then we built um, some countertops. So technically we can have, you know, 30 people eating in there um, for lunch at one time. And that's kind of changed, obviously, the numbers for us in the game. And it's just a uh, now it's an actual environment where people can enjoy themselves. But last summer, for one reason or another, just because I was so busy with so many other things, I just was keeping like patrons at arm's reach, um, which was nice and allowed us to create awareness and build a business. But uh, when people are walking by trying to decide if they'd like to come in or not, it, it 
changes the game by a thousand percent if you have you know 16 people sitting in there eating. For sure. And then when you reopened with the whole new setup, did you invite the influencers back so that they could uh, let people know about the change? We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we've, you know, I did like one big reach out to everyone, and people are are still coming in one by one or one by two or one by three. Um, yeah, because it, it takes time to get everyone in, and then I'll, I'll probably double back and, you know, continue to, in, you know, invite them back in. And then, you know, when we re, it, when we introduce, like, new things on the menu, I'll, I'll probably, you know, we'd probably like to go out. I mean, Franco makes really amazing, uh, like, mesquite buffalo-style chicken wings, which I'd like to kind of tie into, like, football season, like, beginning in early September. So I need to talk to him about that. But I always thought that we would do some sort of wing party with a lot of the Instagram, like, food people if, uh, you know, if and when we, you know, put those wings out into the marketplace. Well, I'll tell you this but before we segue out of food influencers. Uh, you are currently speaking to the man that started the New York City wing off and still hosts it. So when that happens, I want the phone call. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I'm a big, uh, big wing guy myself. Always have been. We want to segue, sort of. We're still talk about influencers. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time on the show talking about the food influencers. But is there? You, you would know better than anybody else. Is there also like a similar army of art influencers? Is there people that do that same kind of thing? One one hundred percent. Yeah, there there are people who run around and you know see you know show after show after show at galleries and museums uh, and take pictures of those shows and um, you know it's often the case you have no idea like who the people are you know and they have like these like really funny kind of like handles so there's like an enigma to them just like there's an enigma to these like food. Instagram people, but it's the, it's the same type of thing. And, and, um, you know, you want to, you know, just like you want to get, unless I'm wrong, just like you want to get those, you know, people into your your restaurant, you want to get those, you know, Instagram people into your gallery if you're able to, but I think it's, it's very similar model. Um, and I think that it's, that's probably the case with, with so many other kind of industries and across food and art and fashion. It's, you know, they all kind of, like, mimic one another. Sure. I, I know that with the food influencers, a lot of them, when they're invited to a place, they feel beholden to say nice things about that place. Uh, I wonder, with the art influencers, is it, what is the relationship between the artist and the gallery owners and those art influencers? Are they are they mostly posting positive things, or when you invite them in, do you run the risk of them being negative? Well, I, I think there there a lot of the the, the people who kind of you know we when I say wield power you know they have large Instagram followings but I think a lot of the art people are posting images of art that they kind of appreciate and they're just kind of saying oh you know Brad at Gallery X um, they're not writing kind of like scathing um, reviews I, I think that comes more with traditional print media kind of like it comes with traditional food print media right I mean if you if you if you wind up on the wrong side of like a Pete Wells review you're in trouble if you wind up on the wrong side of a Roberta Smith review who's you know an art critic for the New York Times you're in trouble too um, but I think you know a lot of them are just posting pictures where the different yeah you're right the difference is the, the you know these food Instagram people are posting pictures as well but they're posting pictures and 
and more often than not saying good things about the food. You're right. That's kind of like an interesting conversation. And I always thought to myself, you know, what if there was a basket full of those Instagram kind of food people who kind of broke out into a different segment and they were like, oh, like this is the worst hamburger I've ever had in my life. Yeah, you really don't get that. And I think that's in large part because, you know, restaurants are inviting these food influencers in and and giving them a free meal. And so I think what you see is either like what you mentioned the art influencers do, they either just say this exists or they say this exists and it's great. And I think they're worried about, I think you'll never see a basket of influencers who say negative things in the food industry because then you lose access and no one wants to lose access to uh, the PR companies and the chefs and the restaurant owners who are inviting them to to try their food. The reason I asked was in the media, whenever you, or at least like in movies, and I don't know if the if the movie and television depiction of the art world is even close to accurate, but you always see people being very worried about when when the press comes to visit, what's the reaction going to be? It's the same thing with like theater and in film and and television. Uh, so I just I guess I just sort of stereotyped it that way and thought. Yeah, these art influencers must be a little bit harder to please. Right. Not. Not. not I. I don't. No. I think. I think it's similar to, to food in 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 some regard. Um, you know, there are. You know, look, there are also art influencers who work in traditional print media who also have like large Instagram followings, but their their main practice is kind of the traditional like print media review when they do decide to review shows. I mean, they're not reviewing shows on Instagram. It's an interesting crossover world. Do you think now that, I mean, look, you know, you don't necessarily come from the, the food service and restaurant world. You come from the art world. Now that you've had this experience, do you think that restaurants could get more involved with the art world and see real results from that? Is, without it being a play, like actually get involved, do, do shows, have, you know, galleries, stuff like that? Potentially, I, I I suppose. I mean, they're, they're two, you know, completely separate worlds. I think if a, you know, if a gallery, you you know, if a gallery has has the right kind of unconventional or like dynamic space, um, I certainly think it it could be beneficial to a, a food service uh, company or like a restaurant to kind of put themselves into that um, physical space. And I think, you know, there are, look, there are restaurants in, in Chelsea where, you know, the majority of galleries are downtown today that kind of service, you know, all of those galleries that exist in their kind of art gallery haunts or, you know, where, where people in the art world kind of go to eat. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much an art gallery could help a, uh, like a rest, a rest. I mean, they're still very separate. I, I guess. Um, but, but when you're under one roof, like we are, they, you know, the they certainly are able to help uh, one another to some degree. Well, I know that when I used to own a bar, we used to have art shows, and they were always some of the heaviest drinking nights that would happen in the bar. But that's a whole, whole different story. Right. Right. So it, it sounds to me, right? You know, when it comes to a food service business, in particular, you know, restaurants, you know, most people think about the food or in some cases like an airport where you just have this captive audience. It's about offering it, um, not necessarily like having what's nice. I believe the experience is just as much a part of the whole thing is as the food. 
now that you have this project where it's food and art, would you say that the experience is just as important as it is the food? The 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 overall experience you're asking about. I don't know. To us, it was. It's funny, you know. We have this like really, like great, like quaint, like beautiful kind of like intimate courtyard in this like super old building. So, so aesthetically, it's 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 quite pleasing, and I like to think it lends itself to barbecue. And and now, yes, the experience has has become um, a big part of it, and I'm focusing more on the experience now than I was just initially focusing exclusively on the food. I mean, in truth, when we first opened, the experience was kind of, it was fine. It was convenient, but it wasn't, it wasn't terribly welcoming or it, it just was, it kind of was nothing. And now, um, yeah, I mean, we, we just put like, you know, like really nice, like plants and like herbs back there and, you know, we're making it more, you know, it, I mean, we all know that, you know, if a place like looks really good, especially we're trying to capture people who are walking through that neighborhood when, when, you know, there's basically like a six foot entrance when the gates are like swung open and we're trying to, you know, capture a lot of people who are, you know, making lunch decisions and they're making, a lot of them are making lunch decisions without knowing what four cans of barbecue is. So they kind of peek in and, you know, that's, that's powerful what they see, you know, and if they see something that's where the experience looks really enjoyable, you know, we're going to, we're going to capture a lot of those people who are coming in. So it wasn't as important to me at, at first, but now the, the, the experience is, is um, super important. And I think the, the, the better the experience, and when I say the better the experience, um, you know, I like to think if it's more aesthetically pleasing, like, yeah. Well, you could be in a super aesthetically pleasing place and have a horrible experience, but, um, you know, the service needs to be good and, you know, people need to be nice and welcoming. And I think that's, I don't think we're doing anything that's really on airs. Um, so I like to think when we first open and we had this counter, people were like, who are these people? What are they doing? When are they open? Are they open now? Are they not open? Are they sold out of food? Are they not sold out of food? So it was one of those like strange, like kind of like offbeat places that, you know, it's not like we were, yeah, we weren't opening some, some giant place with, a, you know, two giant chef names behind us. So, so I think we kind of got, you know, the benefit of being the underdog, so to speak. But, but now if we want to make it a, a real business and, you know, we are in the, in the heart of the meatpacking district, you have to, you have to make the experience great. So you can, you know, so you can really drive traffic and, and do, do real business down there, which is what you need to do to survive. Adam, at the top of the show, uh, you talked about some of these like mega galleries and, and big museums that have restaurants, and you mentioned that you have orders that go out to other galleries. I know that the directors of the Whitney are fans of uh, Fort Gansvort and Fort Gansvort Barbecue. Do you think there's opportunity for you to collaborate with with uh, an operation like that on food, you know, they, I know they have their own restaurants, they have Untitled and, and Studio Cafe, but nothing really like what's going on at Fort Gansvort Barbecue. And um, I, I'm sure you know, like restaurants uh, in New York City, especially, they collaborate quite a bit. Uh, is, there, is there an opportunity for an, uh, an operation like yours, which is considerably smaller and one like theirs, like the new Whitney, which is huge, to get together and do something cool in the neighborhood? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, the director of the Whitney you know, the first time he came over to Fort Gansevoort, he saw the smoker and he 
pointed to it and he's like, we need to get this over there. And he pointed to the museum um, and he wanted us to literally like wheel the smoker over on casters and put it on his roof. I, I still believe that that's going to happen. Um, I think it would be super cool to like invite someone in the neighborhood and they're very supportive of the neighborhood. I think, yeah, I do think that's going to um, happen at some point. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know how, you know, what type of relationship Danny Meyer has over there, but I'm sure, I'm sure the director of the Whitney could do whatever he wants, but I'm sure, you know, Danny Meyer and Untitled have some sort of exclusivity over there, but for like one-off like events and like doing like, you know, different kind of unconventional type things. Yeah, it would be, it would be amazing. I think it's only a matter of time before we, we get, get over there because a lot of people are interested in having us over there. We've sent food over there and we've, we've, we've fed them um, a handful of times, but I think to have the smoker on the roof would be a, a, a different thing. I, I want to go to that. So we'll have to figure out how to make that happen for you. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I know what happens if it happens. They, they, they take a while to make decisions in museums. Not me. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I've been ready too for a while, but they, they, museums take, take time. God bless. Well, Adam, uh, thank, thank you for coming on the show today. This has been a really interesting uh, story that you've been able to tell here and, and, and certainly a unique look on the food service business, which is what we talk about all the time. So we, we end our show each week the same way. We'd like to talk about burgers. So, Adam, what is your favorite burger from childhood? Huh. I might, I, I might throw in kind of a, a, a mixed uh, bag of, of, of burgers. Um, you know, I've always loved... Uh, the burgers up at uh, JG Mellon up on Third Ave Third uh, Avenue and Seventy Fourth Street. I kind of I grew up in New York, so you know I think they make like one of the most delicious burgers in the world. Uh, but the but the JG Mellon that's downtown is owned and operated from you know it's a different company than the one uptown. I haven't tried the burger downtown. I'm not sure if it's the same burger. Um, I also, you know, used to love like the burgers growing up in New York at Jackson Hole. I'm not sure if they exist anymore, but Jackson Hole, they had like, God, like eight, nine or like maybe six or seven like different Jackson Holes. But there used to be an amazing Jackson Hole on, I think it was like East 65th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue where you literally had to, to walk down this tiny little staircase that like went straight down into like the basement, like someone's like basement. And then there was like a bar and I don't know that, that, that was a great burger. What's the best one you've had recently? Well, I just, I just went on uh, my first vacation in like two years and uh, I was in Italy at a, a hotel called, I passed by some fancy hotel in, in Lake Como, Italy, and there was a hotel there called Villa Deste, and they had an incredible burger that I was ordering for my son a couple of days, and then finally I, like, leaned in and grabbed a piece of his burger, and, you know, a couple of minutes later I was kind of demolishing my two-and-a-half-year-old son's burger, so I'm embarrassed to say that, but that was an amazing burger. Um, Where else have I had? I don't know. I need you guys to... to to tell me where the the good burger spots are. I mean, who's making a? I don't know who who's making. Who, what are your guys' favorite burgers? Who's making an incredible burger today? Well, I'll let you know. I, w I went there with Rev recently, um, <laughs> but but I got the burger and Rev and Rev somehow ended up not getting one. But uh, right near Fort Gansevoort, STK has a really good burger. Really? Yeah. Huh. I wouldn't <laughs> have I wouldn't have expected that. 
that's not to take anything away from SDK, but I just haven't, I haven't heard that. Um, I feel like Brad said that just to rub it in that I didn't get a burger there. <laughs> so g- given your experience with Forgansvort and, and Forgansvort Barbecue, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give to someone looking to start something new in the food business? You know, to, there, there are a lot of rules and regulations, and, and just for anyone who's looking to start in the food business, it also requires a tremendous amount of work and dedication. So, so if, if I like to think that you, you can't, well, you can't go into anything half-assed, but, uh, but you know, the food, the food business is, you know, one, one of the hardest businesses in, in the world. I can only imagine how many restaurants close every day in New York. I know how many they do because I look at these liquidation sites that sell all the restaurant equipment that are, are going out of business, but, you know, expect to work 18 hour days, you know, expect the pay to be, uh, you know, not so hot. And, and if you're, if you're passionate about it and, and, and you want to make great food and be detailed and get, take care of people, people, people love to eat and will always eat. It'll never go out of style. It just requires a, a lot of work and it's, it's, it's very competitive, but, but if you have a great product and you're onto something and look, I've had, I've had, interestingly enough, I've had friends who, you know, in their early thirties and their late twenties had kind of no direction on life whatsoever. And they found food or food found them. And I've, I've watched food, interestingly enough, save a lot of people I know. Um, I guess I'm just thinking of that in my head for the first time, but, but I've had friends who just had no direction in life, um, not even like tremendous desire to, or ambition. And then they started cooking and now today they're some of the hardest working people I know. It's interesting in that regard. Well, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Super interesting story. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for having me. And you guys have to come down and, uh, come hang out and, and, uh, have some barbecue. We most love barbecue. You want to come down? Yeah, we, we definitely will. Um, in the meantime, why don't you let everyone know where they can find out more about Fort Gansevoort online? Sure. Uh, Fort Gansevoort, F-O-R-T-G-A-N-S-E-V-O-O-R-T. It's a mouthful, like our sandwiches and our baby back ribs, but fortgansevoort.com. And we're at 5 uh, 9th Avenue uh, between Little West 12th Street and Gansevoort Street. And right now we're uh, open for lunch Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from 11 a.m. until we run out of food or until 5 or 6 p.m. And we also, you know, offer private dinners in our courtyard, and we, we obviously do quite a bit of uh, catering now. And, uh, yeah, businesses, you know, lunch, uh, lunch big lunch orders for, for different companies and stuff like that. So please come down and visit us. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Light, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.